0: Welcome back, Hamming Brainiacs, and Merry Christmas. It's Christmas. If you're into that kind of thing. Uh Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. All that jazz. We're talking about episode uh sorry, epilogue to chapter nine. Oh, I'll tell you what, I've had a big day. Christmas Day. Just seems to never end. So, let's get straight into it. Free will. Or inevitability? Which team are you on? What a topic for Christmas Day. Ubiquiton says, I found this chapter much more engaging, but I'm also a sucker for numbered lists. I really enjoyed all the comparisons Tolstoy brought in, and mostly agree with his point about the subjectivity of the perception of free will. I find it interesting that he seems to see inevitable things as things that led to a future that we now experience as immutable present. Because I don't see things as inevitable in relation to their potential future impacts, but rather as inevitable in relation to their past causes and events preceding. Kikar says personally I think we should act like free will exists and take responsibility for our actions, but punish others as if their wills as if their actions are inevitable. Humility, compassion, and generosity in all things. FDLP One is a standout chapter for the epilogues, at least. I like the wide variety of scenarios. However, we're running out of time for bees. How about a bee that stings a child going for the honeycomb will seem less free after a week of not stinging any other beings? Wow. <laughs> um, you know, it's no worse than any of Tolstoy's bee analogies, so power to you, FTLP1, well done. But yeah, you are right, what have we got, three chapters left for B metaphors, I don't like our chances. Alright, chapter 10 goes like this, thus our conception of free will and inevitability gradually diminishes or increases according to the greater or lesser connection, with the external world, the greater or lesser remoteness of time and the greater or lesser dependence on the causes in relation to which we contemplate a man's life. So that if we examine the case of a man whose connection with the external world is well known, where the time between the action and its examination is great, and where the causes of the action are most accessible, we get the conception of a maximum and of inevitability and a minimum of free will if we examine a man little dependent on external conditions whose action was performed very recently and the causes of whose actions are being our ken we get the conception of a minimum of inevitability and a maximum of freedom in neither case however can may however we may change our point of view however plain we may make to ourselves the connection between the man and the external world, however inaccessible it may be to us, however long or short the period of time, however intelligible or incomprehensible the causes of the action may be, can we ever conceive either complete freedom or complete necessity? 1. To whatever degree we may imagine a man to be exempt from from the influence of the external world, we never get a conception of freedom in space. Every human action is inevitably conditioned by what surrounds him and by his own body. I lift my arm and let it fall, my action seems to me free, but asking myself whether I could raise my arm in every direction, I see that I raised it in the direction in which there was least obstruction to that action either from things around me or from the construction of my own body i chose one out of all the possible directions because in it there were fewest obstacles for my action to be free it was necessary that it should encounter no obstacles to conceive an, of a man being free we must imagine him outside space which is inevitably sorry which is evidently impossible two However much we approximate the time of judgment to the time of the deed, we never get a conception of freedom in time. For if I examine an action committed a second ago, I must still recognize it as not being free. For it is irrevocably linked to the moment at which it was committed. Can I lift my arm? Lift I lift it, but I ask myself, could I have abstained from my lifting my arm at the moment that has already passed? To convince your myself of this, I do not lift it the next moment, but I am not now abstaining from doing so at the first moment when I ask the question. Time has gone by which I could not detain. The arm I then lifted is no longer the same as the arm I now refrain from lifting, nor is the air in which I lifted it the same that now surrounds me. The moment in which the first movement was made is irrevocable, and at that moment I could make only one movement and whatever movement I made would be the only one. That I did not lift my arm a moment later does not prove that I could have abstained from lifting it then, and since I could make only one movement at that single moment of time, it could not have been any other. Two, imagine it as free, it is necessary to imagine it in the present, on the boundary between the past and the future, that is, outside time, which is impossible. Three, however much... The difficulty of understanding the causes may be increased. We never reach a conception of complete freedom. That is an absence of cause. However inaccessible to us may be the cause of the expression of will in any action, our own or in others. The first demand of reason is the assumption of and search for a cause, for without a cause no phenomenon is conceivable. I raise my arm to perform an action independently of any cause but my wish to perform an action without a cause is the cause of my action. But even if I, but even if imagining a man quite exempt from all influences, examining only his momentary action in the present, unevoked by any cause. We were to admit so infinitely small a rema- remainder of inevitability, as it equaled zero. We should even then not have arrived at the conception of complete freedom in a man, for a being uninfluenced by the external world standing outside of time and independent of cause is no longer a man in the same way we can never imagine the action of a man quite devoid of freedom and entirely subject to the law of inevitability however we two sorry however we may prolong the period of time between the action we are examining and the judgment upon it That period will be finite, while time is infinite, and so in the respect to there can never be absolute inevitability. 3. However accessible may be the chain of causation of any action, we shall never know the whole chain since it is endless, and so again we never reach absolute inevitability. But besides this, even if admitting the remaining minimum of freedom to equal zero, we assumed in some given case, as for instance... In that of a dying man, an unborn babe or an idiot, complete absence of freedom, by so doing, we should destroy the very conception of man in the case we are examining, for as soon as there is no freedom, there is also no man. And so the conception of the action of a man, subject solely to the law of inevitability, without any element of freedom, is just as impossible as the conception of a man's completely free action. And so to imagine the action of a man entirely subject to the law of inevitability without any freedom, we must assume the knowledge of an infinite number of space relations, an infinitely long period of time, and an infinite series of causes. To imagine a man perfectly free and not subject to the law of inevitability, we must imagine him all alone, beyond space, beyond time, and free from dependence on cause. In the first case, if inevitability were possible without freedom, we should have reached a definition of inevitability by the laws of inevitability itself. That is a mere form without content. In the second case, if freedom were possible without inevitability, we should have arrived at unconditioned freedom beyond space, time and cause, which by the fact of its being unconditioned and unlimited would be nothing, or mere content without form we should in fact have reached those two fundamentals of which man's whole outlook on the universe is constructed the comprehensible essence of life and the laws defining that essence reason 1 sorry reason says 1 space with all the forms of matter that give it visibility is infinite and cannot be imagined otherwise 2 time is infinite Motion without a moment of rest and is unthinkable otherwise. 3. The connection between cause and effect has no beginning and can have no end. Consciousness is 1. I alone am, and all that exists is but me. Consequently, I include space. 2. I measure flowing time by the fixed moment of the present, in which alone I am conscious of myself as living. Consequently, I am outside time. 3. I am beyond cause, for I feel myself to be the cause of every manifestation of my life. Reason gives expression to the laws of inevitability. Consciousness gives expression to the essence of freedom. Freedom not limited by anything in the essence of life in man's consciousness. Inevitability without content is man's reason in its three forms. Freedom is the thing examined. Inevitability is what examines. Freedom is the content. Inevitability is the form. Only by separating the two sources of cognition related to one another as form to content do we get the mutually exclusive and separately incomprehensible conceptions of freedom and of inevitability. Only by uniting them do we get a clear conception of man's life. Apart from these two concepts, which in their union mutually define one another as form and content, No conception of life is possible. All that we know of the life of man is merely a certain relation of free will to inevitability, that is, of consciousness to the laws of reason. All that we know of the external world of nature is only a certain relation of the forces of nature to inevitability, or of the essence of life to the laws of reason. The great natural forces lie outside us and we are not conscious of them. We call those forces gravitation, inertia, electricity, animal force, and so on, but we are conscious of the force of life in man, and we call that freedom. But just as the force of gravitation, incomprehensible in itself, but felt by every man, is understood by us only by the extent to which we know the laws of inevitability to which it is subject, from the first knowledge that all bodies have weight, up to Newton's law, so, too, the force of free will, incomprehensible in itself, but of which everyone is conscious, is intelligible to us only in as far as we know the laws of inevitability to which it is subject from the fact that every man dies up to the knowledge of the most complex economic and historic laws. All knowledge is merely a bringing of the essence of life under the laws of reason, Man's free will differs from every other force in that man is directly conscious of it, but in the eyes of reason it is no, in no way differs from any other force. The forces of gravitation, electricity or chemical affinity are only distinguished from one another in that they are differently defined by reason. Just so the force of man's free will is distinguished by reason from the other forces of nature only by the definition reason gives it, Freedom, apart from necessity that is apart from the laws of reason that define it, differs in no way from gravitation, or heat, or the force that makes things grow. For reason, it is only a momentary, undefinable sensation of life. And as the undefinable essence of the force moving the heavenly bodies, the undefinable essence of the forces of heat and electricity, or of chemical affinity, or of the vital force forms the content of astronomy, physics, chemistry, botany, zoology, and so on, just in the same way does the force of free will form the content of history. But just as the subject of every science is the manifestation of this unknown essence of life, while that essence itself can only be the subject of metaphysics, even the manifestation of the force of free will in human beings in space, in time, and the dependence on cause forms the subject of history, while free will itself is the subject of metaphysics. In the experimental sciences that we know we call the laws of inevitability, what is unknown to us we call vital force. Vital force is only an expression for the unknown remainder over and above what we know of the essence of life. So, also in history, what is known to us we call laws of inevitability, what is unknown we call free will, Free will is, for history, only an expression of the unknown remainder of what we know about the laws of human life. Alright, there we go. Another chapter about free will. How much can there possibly be to say on the matter? That's that. Thank you for listening. Two chapters to go. Wow. Wow nearly there, well done Merry Christmas, see you tomorrow